Well, I was looking to see if there were any notes up here for me, but I don't see any. So I brought my own, so we're all right. Thankful for what uh, Brother David said. Thankful for the prayer that's been offered. What he said to you today, he told me uh, in a parking lot at Emory University Hospital about a week before Susan passed away. And I didn't feel worthy of it then. I don't feel worthy of it now. But um, Lord, uh, Lord gave me grace to go through that. Uh, Y'all know I was here probably three or four years ago, preached on eternal preservation. Jessica mistitled it. I fussed at her and she said, stay in what I titled it. And I said, okay. But I told you then that about 10 years ago, it dawned on me. I'm kind of slow to learn things. It dawned on me that uh, when her sister passed away at the age of 49, that I was going to have to say goodbye to my wife. And for about six months, I was really, really angry with God. Uh, and I found out he didn't care that I was really, really angry with him. Uh, and that I was going to have to do that. And uh, after that, I, I, uh, I went on forward with uh, what he had given me to do. Uh, people ask me how I'm feeling. I'm feeling okay. Uh, I, I mourned 10 years ago. When Susan passed away, I rejoiced. Uh, and, and have been since then. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful she's in a, another place rejoicing in the Lord. Look forward to going and seeing her one day. had the opportunity uh, to kind of give you an idea of, of how things change over your life. I had the opportunity first uh, Saturday of this month to go out with my father-in-law who buried all three of his children and his wife. Uh, two of them at the age of 49. His wife lived till she was 74. She had a heart transplant. Uh, Susan at the age of 60. And we uh, went to the florist shop. We picked up flowers for eight graves, went to four cemeteries, dropped off the flowers. Those eight graves there, in fact, changed them out from others that were there, all except for Susan's. That was the first time with her. Talked about a bunch of dead people and uh, kind of reminisced on them. He drove. He, he wouldn't let me drive. He drove. I think Brother Ori Davis had said something to him one time about my driving. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I think that was the only time he didn't wash his car. When I hit that buzzard, I think that was it. I think he got somebody else to wash it. But uh, we uh, got, got back to, to uh, the floor shop. I headed home. He headed home. That evening I called him. I said, you know, I said, this was really a good day. You know, things have changed a lot when you go out and see four cemeteries and talk about a bunch of dead people and you get through and you say, boy, that was a great day, wasn't it? 
but it was. It was a good day, and I, and I enjoyed that. Sure, I'll have some others. I ask that you turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the third letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Corinth. There was one letter that was written before 1 Corinthians. And I've never, I don't know if it exists today. Uh, he refers to it, so that's the reason that we know it did exist. Uh, in verse, I, I'm going to read uh, the first six verses, but I really want to start in verse 7 with my, with my thought. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory, he says. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory. Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. Verse 7, the thorn in the flesh is figurative. He didn't actually have a thorn in his flesh. Rather, it was something that bothered him, troubled him. It seems like the more he picked at it, the worse it got. Okay? And he just wanted to get rid of it. What was the thorn in the flesh? A father, a dear father in the ministry once told me, well, the thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says there. Thank you for telling me that. Now I know exactly what it was. What did the messenger of Satan say to him? Don't know. He didn't say. He just said, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Does that mean that when he was preaching that a messenger of Satan was speaking in his ear and trying to give him false doctrine? I don't think it was that. Uh, what was it? And we can speculate on it all we want to, and I'll just end the speculation right now by saying uh, my speculation is the one I believe. And so I'm going to show it to you very quickly, and then we're going to move on from there because my, my purpose is my grace is sufficient for thee, not what the thorn in the flesh was because it doesn't really matter because Paul's thorn in the flesh is not going to be your thorn in the flesh. Okay? But, but the thorn was a messenger of Satan. And we need to understand that when we have problems in our life, when we've got trials that we're going through, so many times the things that we're going to, to be dealing with is something that Satan is working on us about. Okay. Uh, he, there, there are three separate times that came to my mind. I didn't go back and look them up. But there are three separate times that came to my mind 
that the Apostle Paul said. First, he said he compelled the saints of God to blaspheme. I want you to think about how much physical harm he caused men and women to blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ that believed in him. He said, not, not somebody else, he said, I was mad. And he didn't mean I, he was extremely angry. He meant he was mad, out insane against the children of God that were trying to serve the Lord. And he finally said, when he was talking about how he was zealous toward the way of God, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Persecuting the church. I just, I just see in my mind that every time, every time he uh, starts talking in the way, every time he starts trying to, to preach to the children of God, every time he starts trying to teach the children of God, Satan comes up to him and says, you know, we were a pretty good team. You're the best person I had. You're not worthy to be a child of God. And you know what? All three of those things were the truth. Killed him with the truth. <laughs> Probably the only time Satan ever told the truth, if that's what happened. He said, uh, he said, I went to the Lord, and he said, I asked for three times. Now, you know, in prayer, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be diligent in prayer. Uh, we're supposed to pray and pray and pray. And the Apostle Paul says, I, I, I went three times to him. And then he said, uh, my grace is sufficient for that. You know, how many times do you think God told him that? In, in Isaiah 65, the Lord tells us about that when he's teaching about prayer too. He says, I know what you need before you ask. Yeah. He said, I can give you the answer before it comes out of your mouth. That's right. Paul got the answer three times. <laughs> my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, you know, there's no need for me to go back and ask him again because I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be. So many times in my life, I've, I've prayed for things, and, and God will give me the answer, and I just ignore it because, you see, that wasn't the answer I wanted. Okay, so I go back and I say, now, Lord, you know, let, let, let's rephrase that again. Let, let, let's talk through this. Uh, let's come to a meeting of the minds here. And, uh, and the answer is the same. And I realize the answer is the same. In fact, there are times when I go, and I want him to give me an answer, and I know what his answer is going to be. And yet I, 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 I want to try to deal with it. I want to try to negotiate with him. Uh, you don't negotiate in prayer. In fact, the only reason we have prayer is for us, not for God. Was that promise that God said, my grace is sufficient for you, was that promise just to Paul? Or do you think it's probably sufficient for other people? My strength is made perfect. My strength, God says, is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your God doesn't have weakness. Okay. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's not just for him. Let's let's we've got some examples in the Word of God. And I want to spend just a little time talking about some of the examples in the Word of God that uh, where where God showed that his grace was sufficient. Uh, Adam, Garden of Eden, I mean, right, right, out of the, right out of the gate, okay, he blew it. There's no two ways about it. And we're suffering today 
because I don't believe that. But yeah. what, what I learned along the way with my own life is if I'd been in Adam's place, I'd have done the same thing. <laughs> you know, I can't fuss at him about it because, because I'm the same way. You say, well, you, you no, know, but you've got his sin nature now. doesn't matter. You know, somebody asked Brother Elsie Spear one time, how long, how long was Adam in the garden before he sinned? And uh, because you don't know, because the Word of God doesn't tell you. He said about a week. Uh, I think that's probably about right. It probably wouldn't have been that long for me. But he blew it. And uh, when God you know, kicked him out, God tells the serpent something in the presence of Adam. And if you want to know the sufficiency, I'm, I'm going to talk about sufficiency in our lives in a couple of minutes. But if you want to know the greatest sufficiency in the world, it's right there. When God says in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between the seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Grace sufficient for eternity for all the children of God. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he told the serpent, my grace is sufficient to overcome you. There was a guy by the name of Job. Job, uh, John Henry Thoreau was right. Job had a case. <laughs> and if you've never heard that sermon, you need to get that from Brother. Uh, uh, I, I heard it once before I came down here, and now I found out that Brother David had a copy of it. I said, I won't hear it again. Uh, Job did have a case. He, he accused Job of being self-righteous, and he was right. Job was self-righteous. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes. But as you, start, as you start looking through that, you can tell when Job gets to the point in Job 23, where he says, yeah, I'd make my appearance before God, yeah. okay? And I'd set my case before him. I'd fill my, argue, my mouth with arguments. Sort of like I did about 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he came out about as good. Actually, I came out a lot better than it came out with Job. Uh, God answers Job out of the whirlwind and says, uh, where were you? And he starts talking about what, what God had done. He said, I didn't consult with you at all. You know, why is it that all these animals that we have out here are doing the things that they're doing in their appointed time and their order? Did you have anything to do with that? No, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just put my hand over my mouth. I'll just put my hand over my mouth. God delivered him from a trial, a series of trials that he had uh, been made to go through as a result of Satan actually trying him. And the reason Job was able to go through it and the reason he was able to come out the other side and God was able to restore him to where he was, he gave him twice as much of everything that he had except for kids. And the reason he did that was because God had mercy on Joseph. He didn't want to give him 14 kids. He couldn't take care of 14 kids. Okay. Besides that, he was a lot older then. I'm going to tell you, going through a second generation is tough. Okay? I had just about enough for a first generation. God was merciful. His grace was sufficient for Job. There was a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was the friend of God. But Abraham didn't have any children. And God gave him children. Okay, but in Genesis chapter 22, he goes to Abraham 
And he says, I want you to take your son, your only son. Now, Abraham had other children. I mean, Ishmael's there, not, not counting some of the others that he had, but there was only one promised son, and that was Isaac. And so when God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Abraham doesn't sit back and say, I wonder which one he's talking about. Okay? It's Isaac. And he says, you're going to go up and you're going to offer him up to me. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham knew. Okay? That's what it's about, the faithful. Abraham knew that God was able to raise Isaac up again. So what we're seeing is an exercise in faith completely in Abraham. Not, not that, that, oh, my goodness, he's going to take away my son, but I just wonder how he's going to work us through this. You see? And so he goes up. Isaac says, uh, well, got the wood, got the fire. Where's the offering? God will provide himself an offering. He gets up there. He draws back the knife to slay Isaac. And God says, wait a minute. God says, I, I know that thou fearest me. He said, now I know that thou fearest me. Well, he already knew. You know, God's an eternal now. But, but what he wanted to show, not only Abraham, but also Isaac was that Abraham feared him. You know, sometimes we, in our service to God, and I think, I'm thankful it's that way, sometimes in our service to God, we're just going about doing things in our service to God and we're doing them. It's because it's natural for us to do them. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You see, we've been given a nature of God. And because we've been given the nature of God, we serve God without thinking. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And, and then people come back years later and say, you know what you did? You did this, and you sit there and you, think, you say, well, yeah, yeah, I did. And they say, oh, that meant so much to me. Well, I, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad it did. I didn't purpose to do that. <laughs> I want you to know. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Well, that's the way it was with Abraham. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we're God's vessels. Yeah. And we're, we provide mercy to others around us because that's what we're supposed to do. He says, I know that. I know that you fear me. There was a ram. There was a ram in the, in the thicket, and he went over and he took that ram, and he offered that. God did provide himself an offering. Man, we could talk about all what I've seen already. You could make an hour sermon out of any of this stuff. I'm not going to do it. I'm, gonna try, I'm saying my notes today. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole. I promise. David, Second Samuel chapter twelve. You know, David was uh, supposed to go out to battle. God called him to be king. God anointed him king over Israel through the hands of Samuel. Yeah. And it came time for the kings to go out to battle. David was supposed to be doing what God had called him to do. Instead of doing that, this is a man after God's own heart. Yeah. Okay. Instead of doing that, David uh, stayed home. And over the top of his house, he's looking out over, over kingdom. I'm going to tell you, the more I think about that, the more I'm convinced that Bathsheba knew exactly what was going on. Okay. He looks out there and he sees her. He's in, and he says, okay, I'm king. Well, king's supposed to be out in battle. 
sends for her. She comes to him. She sends back to him, says, uh, I'm a child. He calls her husband home from the war and says, you go down and see your wife. Husband says, no, I'm going to stay here until I get, get back with the folks in the battle. David says, this is not going to work out. I thought I had this figured out, but this is not going to work out. So he tells Joab, put him in the hardest part of the battle, withdraw from it, that he die. Whew. Got away with that. Got away with it. She's not going to say anything. He's not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. We're good. Then Nathan shows up, the prophet. And he says, uh, You killed him. David, you killed him. Well, first he gives him a parable. And David said, The one that did that is going to have to die. Nathan says, You're the man. David didn't have to have it described to him or explained to him at that point in time. Conviction. <coughs> he said, uh, but you're not going to die because God has put away your sin. God has put away your sin. That's the reason David could say, blessed is a man to whom the Lord doth not impute sin. That's right. Okay. He said, well, but he said, the child's going to die. And he says, the, the, the sword will never depart from your house. It's a consequence of what he had. He's not punishing him for his sin. He punished the Lord Jesus Christ for his sin. Amen. Amen. But the consequences of that sin followed him the rest of his life. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you, when you look at that and see him go through what happened with the child, the child... Uh, got sick, the child died. And while the child was sick, David David really went into like fasting and praying. And all he did was he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And, he prayed. and then the child died, and all the servants said, "Well, oh no, uh, we're not going to go tell him. No, tell him what he'll do when we go tell him that the child has died." And he saw them whispering about to one another, and he said, uh, "What's going on?" And they said, the "Child's died." And David got up and he washed himself. And he went into the house of God. God's grace is sufficient for him. God can even overcome us. How about that? Amen. Elijah and the widow of Sarepta, you know I was going to get there, right? That's a twofer, by the way. Elijah is uh, got uh, first, you know, I, I sit there and I say, why was Elijah in Israel instead of in Judah? You ever ask things like that? You know, just uh, God's not going to explain it to me, but I just, there's, there's sometimes I, I sit there and I just look at that and I wonder. Uh, in First uh, Kings chapter 17, verse 9, God commands a widow that's a Gentile widow. The widow of Sarepta, a widow of Sarepta, to take care of Elijah. And he told Elijah that. And Elijah shows up in verse 11 and he says, uh, I want a little water. And she says, Okay. And he says, and By the way, 
I'd like a little cornbread. And she said, well, all I've got, you know, this is, she's been told by God. God didn't lie about that. So all I've got is I've got just enough for my son and myself, and then we're going to eat it and die. And Elias says, that's okay. Just bring me one first. And she did it. And you know the reason she did it? It's because God told her she was going to do that. Okay? Now, there was an exercise in faith in that. I understand that. But uh, it was amazing. For three years, for three years this went on. There, there was just enough every night for him to have a morsel. And then when she went back in, it was empty when she got through with his. And when she went back in there, there was two more. And she'd get one out and make it for her and for her son. And then it was empty. Okay? The next night, she'd go in and there'd be just enough for one. And then she'd make it. And then she'd go back in there and there was two more. And she'd make enough for two. Now, folks, I want y'all to know that I'm a full barrel kind of guy. Okay? Yeah. I want the barrel full. Yeah. If the barrel's not full, I got a problem with it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, what what ends up happening with that is, is while she was doing it, she was looking at it, and the barrel's empty, the barrel's empty, the barrel's empty. She's having trust in the Lord. Yeah. She, it, it, her faith is being pointed to God. But if the barrel's full, my faith's in the barrel, That's right. That's not in the Lord. Amen. It went on for three years. And everything's going along okay. You know, nothing's, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden her son dies. And Elijah gets as ill with God as anybody I ever saw in the Bible. In the way that he talks with God. And I'm surprised God didn't strike him dead. But God's grace is sufficient <laughs> for Elijah. And Elijah laid himself out over the child three times. And God raised that child from the dead. Elijah didn't do that. God did. Go back and look at the word of God and see what it says. God's grace was sufficient. They got out of that, started to rain again finally, <laughs> and everything got back to normal. Then there was a fellow by the name of Peter. In Luke 22, the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, Satan has desired that he might, that's permission given to Satan, okay, and by the way, that's the only way Satan can touch us, is permission given to him to touch us. Now, I don't know if you feel uncomfortable about that or comfortable about that, but I want you to know if God's in control, I feel pretty comfortable about it. Okay. If God's not in control, I don't feel comfortable at all. So, so Christ says Satan has desired that he might. I'm giving him permission that he might sift you as wheat. That doesn't sound too good. Have you ever been so discombobulated you didn't know, as my dad used to say, which end was up? That's what happens when you're sifted, okay? That's what's going on with that. Beaten about, bruised, uh, yeah. pressing in on all sides, okay? That's sifting. And he says, but I have prayed for you. Thank you, Lord. Man, I'll tell you, there's nothing better than to hear the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for me. That your faith. Fail not. No, 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 no. No, wait a minute, Lord, let's talk about this. Now, what you're supposed to be praying for is that not be sifted. 
That's not the prayer. We're going to be sifted. He was going to be sifted. That your faith fail not. If Christ is praying that my faith fail not, do you think my faith is going to fail? And then he says, and when thou art converted. He didn't say an if thou art converted. He says, and when thou art converted. There was some conversion having to go on here. When thou art converted. Strengthen thy brethren. Where do you think uh, you saw the result of that conversion? I think it was about 50 days later. On the day of Pentecost. When thou art converted. Strengthen thy brethren. Uh, you know what happened. Peter went out and denied him three times. Swore and denied him. Didn't even recognize him on the road to Emmaus. Now, I don't know whether you believe that was Peter there walking with him or not. I think it was. Uh, because otherwise, the other sighting of Peter, I can't find any other place where it could have been. Uh, and he was able to stand and preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. God's grace was sufficient for him. I can go on many other places here. I, I go to my own experience. I had a dear friend back, uh, his wife 43 years ago lost a child in utero seven months, first child. They told her that it would be better for her to go ahead and deliver that child than for them to try to uh, intervene. She carried that child for two more months, knowing that it was dead in her womb, and delivered it. A few years later, and I, 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 just, I was amazed by it. I, I was just amazed at all. It, it's, and it, like I said, it's a dear friend of mine. Uh, watch that. Watch the faith that they exercised before the church for that period of time. And I was just astounded. Talked to Deacon one night and I said, you know, it's, uh, I know this sounds horrible. But he says, I am so unworthy to be able to witness this. Yeah. And he said, I agree. Sometimes we don't understand why we observe experiences like that. Two years later, Susan, uh, at about two months, miscarried. Second child. And I remember back then. And, it, and, and my, our situation certainly was not nearly as horrific as that. But I remember back to that situation, and I saw them. I'll tell you, you don't, you don't ever get over kids. You, you just don't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there, there are some things, Brother Cromer said, only heaven can heal. I believe that. Yeah. And I think that's one of them. I've talked to, I've talked to folks, too, that feel the same way. But God had given us that example for us, right. you see. Yeah. God's grace is sufficient. You hear it, McClendon. Without going into many details for the sake of young years, 
since I was last with you. Some of you have lost a spouse, a daughter, a sister, and a mother in one instant. The folks at McClenny and Flat Show still lift that family up in prayer. And always will. God has provided us. I'm getting regular reports. Okay, I want you to know that. God has provided us a poignant example of God's grace being sufficient. Amen. And I am so humble by it and so thankful for it. I, I am concerned as to what God's preparing me for. But I am so thankful for what I have been able to see. Didn't get a full barrel. All you got is just enough for today. But you know what? Tomorrow, what you're going to have is just enough for today. Amen. Amen. You don't rely on the barrel. You rely on the Lord. Amen. And as long as we're relying on the Lord, and even if we aren't relying on the Lord, he'll give us Amen. what we need. How about the rest of us? God said his grace was sufficient. I've heard people say, God said it, uh, I believe it, and that settles it. No, it doesn't. <laughs> God says it, and that settles it. I don't have to believe it or not. It just doesn't matter whether I believe it. The Apostle Paul calls the word of God the word of faith in uh, Romans chapter 10. He says, verse 8, he says, that's the word of faith. This is the word of faith which we preach. And I'm going to kind of take it out of context, but I'm not going to disturb the meaning of it. The word of God is the word of faith. Okay. Faith is the substance. He says in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance, the reality, the objective observation, the substance of things hoped for, that which is earnestly expected, the evidence, the proof of things unseen. That means they've not occurred at this point, but they're going to occur. Yeah. Okay. We just reviewed several examples of uh, faith in the word of faith with our experience. In every case, God's grace is efficient. Yeah. Every case. So we have a basis. We have a reality. We have the objective observation. We've just seen it. Of things that we earnestly expect. What God did for them. He will also do for us. Yes. We expect that. Amen. We don't wish for it. No. And we know they're going to occur. That's faith. Right. The word of faith which we preach. In the examples that I had uh, observed, it was there you could have put them in the Word of God, you know. Yeah. They were there. They fit. They were there. And so have you in all your life. You've seen it over and over and over again. Isn't it wonderful how God gives us to one another to provide gifts for one another? 
You think your case is too hard for him? There were some tough cases in there we looked at. You know, if God could deliver and did deliver the chief of sinners, the Apostle Paul, and he said that under inspiration about, you know, we could argue that we feel like we're chief of sinners, but God didn't inspire us to say that. But he did inspire Paul to say that. There's Paul, once again, that messenger of Satan above him. I'm chief of sinners. You know why? Because of persecuted church. Mm. If he can deliver him, and he's the chief of sinners, he can deliver you. Because you're not the chief of sinners. Does that make any sense to you? God's grace is, is sufficient even for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, I have to go to Hebrews chapter 4 because Brother David has always accused me if you don't have anything to preach about, you go to the book of Hebrews. So I have to at least get something out of the book of Hebrews today. And I have already been to the 11th chapter, so this is double, double dipping. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Apostle Paul talks to us about the Word of God. And he's not talking about this. He's talking about what this talks about. And that is the eternal Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in verse 13, he says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. The Lord Jesus Christ. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. For we have not an high priest. Which cannot be touched. Excuse me. Let me, let me. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. As David did. And find Grace to help in time of need. My grace is sufficient for you. I thank you for your attention.